Welcome to the Tim Graham Show. The Tim Graham Show. This is Sports Radio 1270. Just not hitting the hole. The fan. I know I'm going to get pimped. They're going to pimp me. Yeah, huh? I love sausage. Shocking. Dizzying. How did this happen? When I bring the lumber. It's all about the hole. Tim Graham Show. I diddled uh, some pole. Uh, over the weekend. Right. Not me so honia. I did have an accident with a menorah. Here we go. On Twitter at 1270, a fan. Wet ball. Taking your calls at 270 1270. What's up, baby? How you doing? Here we go. The Tim Graham Show. When's the last time you read the New Testament, huh? I'm trying to put my junk back in place. You're one of the guys I'm following on Twitter, you know. Well, I like this guy, uh, Tim Graham. Welcome to the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by Shampoo Travis, Bison, Kirshner, CPAs and business consultants. It is the October 2nd, 2019, Year of Our Lord edition of the Tim Graham Show, here as usual with Jonah Bronstein of Bronstein Consolidated and Matthew Fairburn of The Athletic, Bobby Rosati producing the show. Already had him get to work today. My uh, interview with Brett Favre yesterday, I wanted to be able to share it with the listeners. And uh, Brett, unavailable for radio today, so I'm going to play his clips. I had an inter- interview with him uh, yesterday regarding Josh Allen and his style of play. And Josh Allen emulates Brett Favre. He's so much as said it numerous times over the last couple of years. Even before the draft, that's the guy he models his career after. It's the guy that he believes that he has that spirit in him of Brett Favre, the big arm, toughness, sticking your nose in there, shaking off hits, popping up after you take a big one, running off the field, which we saw him do twice, really. He ran to the sideline after the big hit against the Patriots and then made it a point to dramatically sprint towards the tunnel and salute the fans on his way up and hey new era field was alive when he did those things they see to see their quarterback do that that's the type of stuff brett Favre used to do and i think that uh josh allen believes that he channels that uh that brett Favre aura but he got knocked out of the game is still in concussion protocol we can talk about whether or not we think he's going to play. He's uh, It's encouraging, I think, at this point. But Brett Favre had some words for Josh Allen about, you got to knock that stuff off, man. Brett Favre played 20 years. He had to learn how to protect himself. And, uh, in fact, he played 297 consecutive games, not counting the playoffs. NFL record for a non-special teamer. And... Uh, Until he ran into Arthur Motes. That's right. He crossed the Motes. That might be the most ridiculous thing about Brett Favre. When you think about how he played, the stories about, you know, the type of pain he was playing through, the fact that he never missed games. As recklessly as he played, he stayed on the field, which was insane. And the the fact that he played 20 years on top of that. I think it was 321 straight games if you include postseason. But, uh, yeah, broke all the records, good and bad, because that's what happens when you play for 20 years. So, he, uh, yeah, he he is the touchdown king or was, and 
then the interception king. And but how about this? You know, you you remember Brett Favre on the run, making those throws, doing it left-handed, underhanded, whatever. I mean, he he had a lot of fun out there, and he extending plays. He has only 14 rushing touchdowns in his 20 years. Josh Allen has eight already. And I think that that's part of the thing that Brett Favre was saying in these comments is you're worth more to your team in the pocket and A, A, you're you're worth more to your team in uniform and not available to play. And uh, you're worth more to your team when you can deal from the pocket and do all the different things. So have some quotes from Brett Favre coming up and we'll get into that. But, uh, Matt, you were out there at practice today uh, for the limited time that we're able to see Josh Allen. Uh, What were your observations? I would say I feel better about his chances of playing now than I did when I woke up this morning. And it, based on what we saw, it seems that he's in stage four of the protocol at this point because he was throwing routes versus air. He was in his helmet doing football activities. He was not mimicking football activities. He was doing them. He was not in team drills, but even to get to that point today, and we saw him in the locker room after the game, bouncing around, talking to his teammates. Everybody smile on his face, looked normal to me. I mean, not that doesn't mean that he's not dealing with anything, but he certainly was not holed up in a dark room with sunglasses on and a, and his hood pulled over his eyes and he was out there, he ran to the tunnel. Everybody saw that. He ran back to the sidelines. I was saying to you, after the game, if it were the early 90s, heck, if it were the early 2000s, he's probably back in that game because it seemed like he really wanted to be back in that game. And so I think if he's in stage four, and I mean, it's all kind of guesswork because they keep things close to the vest with concussion protocol, but if he's in stage four at this point, how long did it take Mitch Morse to get to stage four? Quite a while. So uh, that would you know, suggest that he's a little bit ahead of schedule. There's obviously no need to rush him. I mean, it's his, it's his brain we're talking about. So um, that's a little bit more important than a week five game against the Titans. But I think if he can clear by, I mean, even Friday, they're probably going to feel pretty good about rolling him out there. And it's probably going to take a lot to stop him. Here's a concern that you have with any player, not just some, not just Josh Allen, but it's a, it's a talking point regarding the concussion protocol that uh, the NFL uh, implemented a few years back, is that you can kind of get yourself out of it. Now there are baseline tests that have to do with things like your pupils and your ability to concentrate and pass a little test, um, you know, those types of things. But there's also the potential of having another headache or feeling a symptom that if you don't self-report it, the team won't know. Josh Allen doesn't strike me as the type of guy who's going to report a headache if he wakes up tomorrow uh, or a little dizzy spell or something. I, he He's probably a guy that will uh, – it's going to have to be something that he can't control that keeps him in the concussion protocol, if that makes sense. I don't know if I'm being reckless in saying that. Uh, I think that there are players out there who do exactly that. And he strikes me as the gamer. He's got that, again, the Brett Favre mentality. I'm sure Brett Favre played through some concussions. I'm through, he, he played through broken this and cracked that and sprained this. Uh, and I think Josh Allen is, uh, barring throwing up on his cleats in 
Saturday's walkthrough is probably going to play on Sunday if he if it's up to him. Yeah, I think. I mean, you saw the way he bounced up and, and ran off the field. I don't think he would have been able to return to that game because it appeared he got knocked unconscious. And once that happens, I think you know you're diagnosed with a concussion, and I just don't think they let you back in. And it's good that some of these things are independent, but like you said, a lot of it is so dependent on trusting these guys to self-report their symptoms. And, you know, is he mature enough, old enough, and, um, you know, willing to do that? I don't know. And that's kind of a scary thought because, you know, this is a young guy who wants so badly to play, wants so badly to help his team win, and wants, you know, as much as anything, I think, to earn the respect of the guys in the room and, and prove that he's tough and you know he probably feels mostly fine if he's out there throwing the football this isn't a severe concussion but you know you still want him to be aware enough to recognize what could happen if he plays with even a a minor concussion or any symptoms left over there's a bye week coming up a week after or right after this game against the titans in nashville that could also be playing into the thought process of, well, let's just get through this one, then we can relax. And I mean, I guess I don't want to go too heavy on my hypothesis here because that is, is, is insinuating that I think Josh Allen is going to, uh, you know, go out there unwell. I don't, I, he may be perfectly fine already and I hope that he is, but I think it's just my uh, way of further emphasizing that I think he's going to be on the field on Sunday because if he does have a lot of control over it, as you say, you have to self-report anything, uh, he may be fine. So there's that per- that percentage chance that he's just cleared. There's also the percentage chance that, you know, he's going to maybe not be 100%, but out there anyway. There was also, I mean, during Sean McDermott's news conference, he didn't really hide the fact that, you know, Josh Allen would be, participating in individual drills he participated in team meetings he was sort of offering up clues as to what stage he was in without saying it and we know how he deals with these things because we saw it with Mitch Morse it seemed like every single question was yeah guys he's in the protocol I don't know what to tell you he's in the protocol and today it was yeah he's in the protocol Oh, well, what is, what's he going to do? Is he going to do it? Yeah, he's going to do individual. Was he in team meetings? Well, we didn't have meetings yesterday, but he was in there this morning. And it's like, you know, he's usually very close to the vest, and that's just setting the table for, hey, he's all right. He's getting better. And so then by whatever day they pull him out of the protocol, um, and we don't know for sure, you know, there's so much gray area and so much that we don't know about the protocol and how it's handled in the immediate aftermath when this guy gets hit, goes into the locker room, where exactly he stood after the game is a bit of a mystery. So like you said, none of this is to say that he's going to go out there and be putting himself at risk. He might be fine, and he might be in the early stages of being okay. He wouldn't be the first guy to get a mild concussion and you know play the next week. And it, I mean, it's dangerous in the sense that anybody's at risk out there, but may not be any more dangerous than it would have been last week. You mentioned uh, Sean McDermott playing close to the vest. What did you make of the uh, – there's only a certain amount of time that the media is allowed to be out there and watch practice. It's during 
team, you know, there's some drills and warmups and things like that. And as soon as they get into a little more heavy uh, type of practice is when everybody's dismissed. So it's not like we're kicked off the field. But what did you make of the way the media had to leave today? And maybe you could explain that. It was uh, it was a little unusual, wasn't it? Yeah, it was different today. And I was notified of it beforehand. So they've actually done it differently this year. Is We've gotten a good 45 minutes on Wednesdays and Thursdays because they do a lot of special teams and then they do a lot of individual. And they mixed in a team drill in which – so we had to leave earlier than normal. Now, there's no set amount of time that we're supposed to be out there or not. We're allowed out there during individual, and then they can kick us off as they see fit. It used to be 15, 20 minutes, and then you know they skipped the team drill ahead a little bit, and we got off there a little bit earlier. So I don't know what individual drills we also didn't see, or you know, but didn't there was that chance to see who, which quarterbacks in the huddle. Right? right. So normally we do get to see that. For but some today sort of walkthrough and some sort of, um, you know, against air type of warm up uh, that was not uh, made available today. So they moved things around a little bit. And I don't know how much. I mean, I'm sure Which there's probably games adds, adds to the uh, a little bit more of our thinking that Josh Allen's going to play because we would expect to see Matt Barkley out there in that huddle. I think everybody, because the guy was knocked out of the game, I mean, what would be... You go with that. You go with the fact that Barkley's well, I been guess, I guess now maybe I've just talked myself out of it. Maybe you don't want to. Maybe you want like, to show that Barkley like is not. that, Or that you don't want the media to see Barkley's getting the first team reps. But you'd expect that it, he's not in the... Allen's in the protocol. He can't do team drills. So Barkley would have been out there regardless. Because Josh Allen can't do team drills. Or maybe he can, but he'd be limited in doing so. So I don't know. Who's to say, when when Sean McDermott tells us before practice that Josh Allen's in the protocol, maybe that was as of this morning. Maybe he's not in the protocol for practice. I don't know. I'm I'm, I'm throwing out too many things. We're trying to read the tea leaves about Josh Allen playing on uh, on Sunday, and we're going to get into that with Joel Staniszewski. It It's tough to bet on this game because Vegas doesn't know who the Bills quarterback is. But the line was already set at uh, Titans minus three, which is interesting because usually they hold it off the board. It was held off the board when the first lines came out Sunday night. Uh, but, yeah, it's 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 interesting. So, if you ha- yeah, I guess there are probably some people who uh, – uh, some betters out there that would like to read these tea leaves too, as to whether or not they can get better value with the assumption of of either Barkley or Josh Allen as the the quarterback. But we've also talked about you know should that even move the line that much? You know, I, I, think, I think it should probably for the quarterback. Yeah, for the quarterback. But in this particular instance, should right. Matt Barkley versus Josh Barkley, Allen move the yeah, line? Yeah, game manager Matt Barkley with Bills defense versus reckless quarterback who keeps having to bail himself out on a, for the for each of the first four games. Um, well, I guess not against the Giants, but three of the four games he's had to bail himself out. Uh, yeah, maybe maybe I'd as a better, I would want Barkley as the quarterback. Right, you're looking for a guy who he's doesn't keep it close. You at least know what you're getting. Yeah. Josh Allen is very volatile. Where. He could be on on his game, and they could 
blow the Titans out or he could get them in a bit of a bind the way he has in what? Three out of the four games. Yeah. You were going to say something, Jonah? I was just thinking about how much might that game have gone differently against New England with Matt Barkley in a quarterback. Obviously, we saw him play at the end and how it didn't really go in the Bills' favor, but it would have been a different first three quarters with him as the quarterback, and I think the Bills might have had a better chance to win with that style of quarterback play. I think that, in general, they have a – they if if the defense plays like it did Sunday with Matt Barkley protecting the football at quarterback, I think the Bills win. You may you may be right, and we could talk about that some more when we come back from the break. But rather than channel his inner Brett Favre, I'm sure that Sean McDermott, Brian Dable, Brandon Bean, the Pagulas, a majority of the Bills fan base would love to see Josh Allen channel his inner Chad Pennington. Right, and but just like, hey, just go once out there in a and... while at least, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but that's also what he brings to the table, and why maybe he gives the Bills the better chance to win because he's their goal line back. He gets tough first downs running right. the ball as much as you might not want him to do that. That has contributed to winning drives in his career. But and this is what we're going to find out when we listen to uh, Brett Favre after this break. Brett Favre is going to give us. Uh, we're going to share those uh, clips from my interview with Brett Favre regarding. Uh, you can't do that. You can't have that as part of your game plan because you're going to get knocked out of the game, end your season, be out of the league uh, if you keep playing like this. Who's Brett Favre ever beat? <laughs> what's, what's he, he ever, ever won? Yeah, what's he ever done? Uh, a lot of great comment from... Uh, yeah, who's he to say? He played 300 straight <laughs> games playing like that. So. I had uh, When I tweeted out yesterday that uh, I had a story about Brett Favre uh, talking about uh, Josh Allen about, about you know check back shortly I'm going to have it posted somebody and not being sarcastic was uh, oh terrific uh, I, I always I love to see comments from 50 plus year old quarterbacks on our guy like what <laughs> I think it's like, it was a like, a, piece, like an, I, an eye roll like oh what's this guy got to say about it <laughs> and we, we can only interview Steve Berline so many times all right, Brett Favre, when we come back on the Tim Graham Show, sponsored by CTBK on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. This is the Tim Graham Show. Guy I'd never heard of. Al Blozis. Maybe not today, but Al Al Blozis. They were working on wet ball drills. Welcome to the Tim Graham Show. Well, what's the uh, the time period for? On Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. The Tim Graham Show. People losing their load over Josh Allen. That's not, that doesn't get me off. That doesn't get me off the... Go ahead and jot down that time, too, brother. On Twitter, at 1270, The Fan. My fifth year incoming altar boy class, I think, was bigger and better than any other class. The Tim Graham Show. Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by CTBK. Here with Matthew Fairburn of The Athletic, Jonah Bronstein of every media outlet in town. Bobby Rosati on like the board. It's like a monopoly. I don't know if I like the sound of that. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like he's being passed around. Selling his soul. <laughs> selling his soul. 
So I talked to Brett Favre yesterday, and it was uh, an enlightening conversation and a long conversation. I don't know when Brett Favre calls if I'm going to get three minutes, if I'm going to get ten minutes, and we were on the phone for about 45 minutes talking only about Josh Allen. And uh, he was very opinionated. He had a lot of thoughts about this style of play. Uh, This is a guy who gets compared, or I should say young players get compared to Brett Favre a lot. It's not to say it's common when a quarterback comes out, but people wonder. That's what happens with legends. You get compared to some a household name, so that way people get an idea of what kind of playing style you have. Baker Mayfield has even been compared to Brett Favre as well. Also, yes. I think it's one of my favorite things at the Combine is the interview portion when they bring out the prospects, and inevitably each one gets asked, who would you compare your style to? What do you to? model your game right. after? And it's, you, you will hear... 50% of the running backs say Emmett Smith, you know, the other, the other 50, maybe Earl Campbell. I don't know what I just like. I'm okay. a mix of Alvin Kamara and <laughs> yeah. Mark Ingram. And you get the same at the NHL combine too. It's like, I'm, I come, I'd say I'm like a, I'm like a, a Yar- Yarmer Yager. You know, nobody ever says, uh, you know, well, I think I'm kind of like a Stu Barnes. But most of them are like a Steve yeah, Barnes. exactly. That's what they should at best. Yes. So uh, anyway, so talking to Brett Favre yesterday, and uh, have some clips from the interview that Bobby was able to uh, pull for the radio show, and um, so we talked about how you get into a guy's mind as a coach when he has something ingrained in his DNA that he plays a certain way. How do you get Josh Allen to stop running for it on third and six in the second quarter and diving for a first down as though the Super Bowl's on the line uh, or to throw deep into double coverage because you think you might be able to fit the ball into a tight spot. Um, and uh, here's what uh, Brett Favre had to say about that. It's twofold. I think the player himself has to, has to mentally fight the urge to do some of the things that he's done. And, and that will take time because, again, it's kind of your nature. And secondly, from a coach's standpoint, they're going to have to, you know, demand some way, shape, or form that he not play as reckless as he has. And so I asked Brett Favre, how did he get broken of that style of play? Because when we think back on Brett Favre's career, the all the consecutive games, uh, the toughness, the throwing on the run, and we talked about it a little bit in the last segment. That style of play that Favre had, the swashbuckler, as he's called, the gunslinger. He only rushed for fourteen touchdowns, and after he turned twenty-eight, I think it was, he rushed less than thirty times a season. He was not out there running around. This is a guy who his entire college career, he was in a direct snap offense. He was under center, and they ran on first and second down, and they would throw only if it was third and long. So, I mean, it was he was handing off almost his entire high school and college career. And so this is a guy who's used to running, and uh, he would have these option plays and things like that. But he gets to the NFL, and he's trying to play like this, and... Mike Holmgren, the coach of the Green Bay Packers, had to sit him down. Time when I was ducking my head and I was trying to run over guys, and I was just, I, and we needed two more yards, and I was going to do all I could to get it. And Holmgren finally set me down. He said, "Look, I, I, I appreciate, I admire 
your toughness. And, and, and after this conversation, I was uh, was nicknamed by Mike uh, John Wayne. Believe it or not, he 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 said, "All right, John Wayne, we, you know, don't don't be pulling that stuff again." But but he said to me in that that one conversation, he said, "But if you continue to do that type of stuff, I, the only way I can get you to stop it is I'm gonna take your money. I'm gonna fine you five thousand the next time you run over, try to run over a guy. If you don't slide." He said, hey, if the game's on the line and we have no choice but to get the first down, then by all means, you do what you got to do. But I don't want you trying to get extra yards on the first third down of the game. And and if you do that, I'm going to take your money. Now, was he was he serious? I don't know, but it got my attention. Brett Favre rushed for over 200 yards just twice in his career, when he was 24 and when he was 25. Uh, after that, uh, things started to go down quite a bit. Really, his last gasp as a runner would have been uh, his, when he was 28. 1997, he rushed 58 times for 187 yards and one touchdown. Josh Allen, of course, does that in two weeks. So, again, that's Brett, that now the legs are a weapon, and that's part of the reason that the Bills drafted Josh Allen. And, yes, Brian Dable will call a designed quarterback run at times. So I guess maybe we should discuss that. Should Brian Dable be doing that uh, when now you 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 know that he's prone to fighting for that extra yard, not to slide, to uh, duck his head, uh, to hurdle? His signature play right now is hurdling Anthony Barr of the Minnesota Vikings last season. I feel like most of his best runs weren't designed. And that's why. Oh, for sure, he's on and, the. He's and trying that's to run why I feel like it's. The, I don't even ball. know what the point is of calling for designed runs, other than quarterback sneaks, the quarterback sweeps, and everything else that they've tried a couple of times. They're, they're not as effective. He's not blazing fast. He's not Michael Vick or Lamar Jackson. He's fast enough and instinctual enough and as strong. a runner, I and mean, he, strong and hard enough to tackle, and understands his angles enough that he can be dangerous if you let him slip out of the pocket. But I don't think he, he's more of a battering ram. He's more of a Cam Newton or Tim Tebow as a runner where like Jonah's brought up, um, whether it was during the break or on air, I don't remember, but he's a red zone weapon. You know, he's absolutely scores down by the goal line and their red zone offense is effective because he can do that. And I think that those plays are safe enough to call because when you cross the goal line, the play's over. You know, you're not in the open field. As soon as you cross the goal, yeah, you might take a hit, but somebody's not teeing you up usually. I mean, you're 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 nestling down uh, into a, a when you're talking about a, a sneak situation, you you don't take a lot of abuse there. Um, the way he's athletic enough to dive over the pile like he did just to put the ball over the goal line, then play's over. So that's one thing, but. Every now and then, they do call a designed quarterback run from their own 45-yard line. And, and he ends up running between the hash marks in the open field. And that's not what happened with his particular run, right? That was a scramble. That was a scramble. In and- which Jonathan Jones, I thought it was a legal hit, by the way. I know a lot of people are wondering what the belief. I, I don't even know. I, don't, I would not be surprised if Jonathan Jones doesn't even get fined for that hit. Jonathan Jones' feet was they were planted, and hey, Josh Allen was a runner in the open field. 
And people say, and you know what? It, there's some truth to what Micah Hyde said, that if Tom if it happened to Tom Brady, we would have been ejected. You're right, and Bills fans would have been bitching about that because it would have been an unfair ejection, right? So because well, it didn't, also it didn't been, warrant it. It would have been a very unusual situation for Tom Brady to be <laughs> exactly. running down the field like that, and Tom, the, yeah. the refs would have been on a had their antennas up in a different way <laughs> as opposed to yeah, Josh chasing. Allen is – a runner. I mean, like people talk about the protect the protections that Cam Newton doesn't get. I feel like Cam Newton is almost the ultimate cautionary tale for Josh Allen because Cam Newton is like broken right now. His his body is failing him because the Panthers have just allowed him to be that battering ram down near the goal line or when they need tough yards and he picks up tons of first downs and sure, yeah, maybe if Tom Brady were running out there in the open field, but it it's kind of a moot point because I don't think Tom Brady would be 20 yards no. downfield and he trying slides. to lower his head into Jonathan Jones, which is what Josh Allen did. Jo- Josh Allen was a yard away from a first down and lowering his shoulder, trying to get it in the fourth quarter in New England territory. If Jonathan Jones is wrong for going up and trying to tackle him, if that makes him malicious, he's just playing football and trying to stop this guy from getting a first down, which he did. The flag was thrown, I think, in part because it was a quarterback. If that were Frank Gore, I don't think a flag gets thrown. Not at all. But that's how it's supposed to be treated, is that Josh Allen is equal to Frank Gore at that point because he decided to run out there, and he's got somebody wrapping him up, and he still won't go down. He's fighting for more. Yes. That's what you get. He he hadn't established forward progress yet. He was still moving forward. I mean, the play shouldn't have been whistled. It's not that... Forward no. progress means the play should have been stopped at that point. No, there was no whistle to blow. Jonathan Jones didn't hear a whistle. He also didn't totally lead with his head. He led with his shoulder. He was turning, and you can't. I mean, it, it, Josh Allen's a moving target. That's why when you're in the open field, they don't have helmet to helmet calls. And if you notice, it was unnecessary roughness. There wasn't anything specific about it. It was just kind of like it didn't look right. Right. The official didn't say and why. The guy it was, got, right. Josh Allen got hurt, I, I think, was a big thing. And and the point Devin McCourty brought up, which I think is one that has to be established, is and, and it all plays into the idea of is a guy defenseless, is he not? Devin McCourty said he's not exactly an easy guy to tackle. And that's true. I mean, if he doesn't make that hit and Josh Allen slips out of Deron Harmon's grasp, I believe it was Deron Harmon who wrapped him up, if he slips out of his grasp, and Jonathan Jones doesn't make that hit. He's cut. He's he's <laughs> he's he's the, on. He's yeah, He's a at dog. Least. Yeah. He's a complete dog. And Josh Allen might get ten or fifteen more yards and might lead a go-ahead touchdown drive. And then Monday morning, Bills fans are making memes and gifs and and making fun of the guy. Like he made a hit with his shoulder, and it was the right play to make. And I, I just think as bad as the outcome was, which of course, I'm not, I yeah, mean, I, you don't like, and I don't think type, Jonathan Jones was right. trying to knock him out. You no. know, as we no, I don't believe so either. As we get, as I cover this game more and more, these are the hits that make me not like the game as much. Yeah, like it those makes are the you one, cringe. Cause well, let's take a look at the, you know, the flip side of the coin all week. People were tweeting that video of Nate Clements, <laughs> almost decapitating Tom Brady and the helmet flying off. And Tom Brady referenced that on Monday as was a play. Was there even a flag? There was no, no flag. No. And Clements did launch. Like it was a, that was like the textbook, you know, un, you know and, but fans are like, <laughs> <Targeting>. <laughs> remember when Tom Brady got his ass kicked by Nate Clements? Well, 
that play wasn't in that was no flag on that now there should have there would be today but that was sure. that was a, wasn't even what happened on sunday with uh, jonathan jones on josh allen wasn't even remotely as as nasty no not even close and tom brady mentioned he said after that happened i got yeah i don't think i've ever not you know belichick again. that was the play where belichick finally said look can't do that anymore and and then he became you know, and i wonder if in part some of the rules statue. and the way that guys play in the secondary now and kind of play a little bit more carefully around quarterbacks has given a few of these guys you know a false sense of security out there and maybe this is the type of hit that needs to happen for Josh Allen to realize i mean look he was hurtling over a guy last year i mean and that just goes to show you where if Jonathan Jones doesn't hit him like he's a regular ball carrier, which at that point he is, then Josh Allen can escape. He can get out right. of these things. He can hurdle over guys. He can. He's as tough to bring down as a lot of running backs, tougher in some cases. So it's a really tough position to be in if you're Jonathan Jones. And, I mean, you can play the, oh, if it were this guy, then it would have been different all along. It's like it's been Cam Newton before, and he hasn't gotten that treatment. Let's uh, get back to Brett Favre real quick. Uh, we have uh, uh, we have to get to Chad Dinaminisis from Die by the Blade. He's going to be coming up next segment. I don't want to cheat uh, his his time. Uh, so I asked Brett Favre uh, if he knew then, meaning when he was very young in his career, what he knew now, or even towards the end of his career, how would he like to implement his. 38, 39-year-old self into that youngster right out of Southern Miss, and and what can Josh Allen take from that? Here's what he said. I think for me, in my, in my 20 years, over at least the first half, I, I spent a lot of time trying to harness what I, you know, what, what, what talent I had. I realized that I was probably from an arm and escapability Standpoint, those two, I felt like, I, not that I could outrun anybody, but I felt like I could make a lot of plays with my feet, buying time and extending the play, and then turning it over to my arm to do the rest. And I'm sure you and, and I right here, we could think of five or ten of those plays right off the top of our head that is a perfect example of that. So I spent the first ten years Allowing you know myself to play that way, but but becoming more of a student of the, of the game. I to be honest with you. My first ten years, I thought, and, and I, I, I'm just off the top of my head thinking it may have been before, it may have been after ten years. But I spent I, I, for the better part of my first half of my career, I thought I would be the strongest arm in the NFL year in and year out forever. In other words, I thought I would be 25 or 30 forever, and obviously it's not the case. You know, I, I would never be limited or restricted. Um, it, it, and obviously, you know, no one can, you know, can say that. Um, I tried to learn the game and, and be a, you know, a more mental or add that element of, of, of the game to my my toolbox or whatever you want to call it um, where I okay you got you got you got great arm strength you got 
greatest capability. Don't don't rely on that. Stay in the pocket or, or you know, be wiser. And, you know, at times maybe the best thing to do is to dink and dunk. Dink and dunk. That's something that I think probably would make Josh Allen – Give him nightmares. The idea of being a dink and dunk quarterback. Right it five times. However, over. Brett Favre did plenty of that, and then he could un- look at forty. Brett, Ar- Brett, uh, Brett Favre's arm was probably stronger than still over half the league, and he was still able to throw a seed uh, into tight coverage and make the highlight reel play. If, I think they went what twelve and four uh, his second last year. The Vikings did, and they came within one game of the of the Super Bowl. Um, so he still had it, but he also was able to use his running backs and his receivers and uh, on the short stuff. It's one thing that I thought having Cole Beasley around, and now granted, it's only four games into the season, that we'd see a little bit more of the underneath stuff. And we do from Cole Beasley, but I thought it would be even more. I mean, throwing it 50 yards downfield on first down at about the mid, at half, what was it, at like 50-yard line-ish? in that game that got picked off double coverage on first. I, I remember looking up and thinking to myself, it's third down already. And I it looked because like I, arm punt. yeah, I, I, he threw it and I just thought, well, hell I could have sworn it was first down. It must be third. And I looked down and I think it was first down. He missed Cole Beasley a few times too, with those easy throws. And that's yeah. part of the issue is finding that timing and that, that accuracy on those shorter patterns to take advantage of a guy like that. I asked Brett Favre uh, if he could talk to Josh Allen, what he would say to him, and here's how I responded. Hey, Josh, I get it. I, I see you you diving and, and running over people. Look, I was I was that guy too. But but listen, man, take it from a guy who's played a long time and has learned. Maybe maybe learned a little bit later than I should have from a physical standpoint. But that. You know, there's a time and place when you when you try for extra yards and you try to run over someone, and that wasn't it. Um, it just you got to be smarter. Now, he'll say, "Yeah, you're right. You're right, Brad. I know." And it may take a few more hits before he goes. You know, he's. I mean, he really is right. You know, I don't know that, but, I, but that's what I would basically tell him. I mean, there's nothing else that I could really say um, other than than what I, I just told him, and that, that being the truth. Well, that's his hero. I mean, that's his guy. That's a guy he always wanted to be when he was growing up. And uh, the lead to my story, I, I found a, a comment in which uh, Josh Allen, right after the Bills had drafted him, he's at his rookie gala or whatever that they do, the little pageant out in Southern California where they pose for their football cards. You know, they get in the uniform and they do some stuff and they do some signings and it's their photo ops so they the football card companies can get them in their uniforms uh, for their for the upcoming card series. And so Beckett, the, the magazine, memorabilia magazine, uh, did a Q&A with Josh Allen in which he says, or they ask him, if you could be on a football card with anybody in history, who would it be? And he was like, oh, Brett Favre, it's the toughness. It's the way he played the game. He's like, that's my guy. Well, maybe Josh Allen's guy... Um, in a story f- through the athletic, which is also like, well, why pick up the? F- I mean, can't somebody pick up the phone and say, "Hey, Brett, would you mind talking to this guy?" Uh, why didn't you? But yeah, I, I'll, I'll be the <laughs> conduit. Uh, fine, fine by me. 
Um, but yeah, it was interesting to uh, to do. It was uh, so yeah, that story uh, full of way more quotes than we played here uh, on the Tim Graham show. In that uh, story uh, at the Athletic, I've tweeted it out uh, at by Tim Graham, and or you can just go straight to the site and see it for yourself. Uh, when we come back, oh my, we we ate into Chad Diedemann's time a little bit. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about the Buffalo C- uh, Sabers and their season beginning, the Buffalo season and their saber beginning. I almost said. Uh, when we come back with Matthew Fairburn, Jonah Bronstein, Bobby Rosati on the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by CTBK on Sports Radio twelve seventy, the Fan. This is Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. The Tim Graham Show. What are you looking at now? Good at, and Michael Reinhardt will find him, and he's just got to fill the net, and he knows how to do it. It's accurate. It's a hard shot. It catches goalies off guard. Um, I mean, he's unquestionably, you know, if you want some options, like I said, I mean, he could be a guy who's in the race for Rookie of the Year. And I, I could see that, especially if they're going to put him on the power play, too, where he has that one-timer. Uh, and there's... A possibility he could rack up 25 to 30 goals this season that would not shock me because he's he's really good i think he's come a long way in his skating and his two-way game from being a seventh round pick uh playing in sweden a few years ago where he is now so you know one of those late round picks was like a finally hit for the sabers and if you're looking for optimism i think olsen definitely is one one guy to look at ralph krueger chad d Diminisis has his eye on you <laughs> It starts tomorrow night when the Sabres open up against the Pittsburgh Penguins. Chad Dinaminisis, managing editor of DieByTheBlade.com. Thank you for joining us, and uh, hopefully we get to chat uh, a lot more as the season goes on. Anytime, man. I appreciate it. And maybe you won't be so wound up. Maybe they'll give you a reason to (laughs) maybe tap the brakes a little bit. Yeah, we'll see. All right. Chad Dinaminisis. All right. Okay, when we come back, we're going to have, well, we have Joel Staniszewski. We're going to have some betting talk. We're going to have Bill's cornerback, Levi Wallace, uh, and uh, our usual banter, witty banter here on the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by CTBK. Unquestionably, you know, if you want some options, like I said, I mean, he could be a guy who's in the race for Rookie of the Year. And I, I could see that, especially if they're going to put him on the power play, too, where he has that one-timer. Uh, and there's a possibility he could rack up 25 to 30 goals this season that would not shock me because he's he's really good i think he's come a long way in his skating and his two-way game from being a seventh round pick uh playing in sweden a few years ago where he is now so you know one of those late round picks was like a finally hit for the sabers and if you're looking for optimism i think olsen definitely is one one guy to look at ralph krueger chad d Diminisis has his eye on you <laughs> <laughs> it starts tomorrow night when the Sabres open up against the Pittsburgh Penguins. Chad Dinaminisis, managing editor of DieByTheBlade.com. Thank you for joining us, and uh, hopefully we get to chat uh, a lot more as the season goes on. Here on Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. Welcome to the Tim Graham Show. The Tim Graham Show. This is Sports Radio 1270. Just not hitting the hole. The fan. I knew I would get pimped. I love sausage. Shocking. Dizzying. How did this happen? When I bring the lumber, it's all about the hole. I diddled uh, some pole uh, over the weekend. Right. Not me so honia. I did have an accident with a menorah Here we go. On Twitter at 1270, the fan. Wet Taking your calls at 270-1270. What's up, baby? How you doing? Here we go. 
The Tim Graham Show. When's the last time you read the New Testament? Huh? I'm trying to put my junk back in place. You're one of the guys I'm following on Twitter, you know. Well, I like this guy, uh, Tim Graham. Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by Shampoo, Travis, Besaw, and Kirshner, CPAs and business consultants. For all your assurance, accounting, taxes, taxes, Texas's. Shampoo, Travis, Besaw, and Kirshner, on a weekly basis, must regret signing up as a sponsor for some mumble mouth like me. Have you made it through a show with 100%? Uh, not messing up. I yeah, I think Probably. maybe even just last week. Last week was clean, I think. No, I don't remember. It sounds about right. I think when Jonah Once? filled in, he we <laughs> talked about yeah. it before we went I on heard air, that. and then he I'm owing one. Messed up the letters. <laughs> How about this? I mean, getting D Diminisus correct yeah. without a flub is impressive. I remember when he was uh, on the show for the first time several months back. I did walk around my house as I was like getting ready for work just saying his name over and over again so I wouldn't so I wouldn't uh, flub it. Maybe that put too much stress on your... D-diminesis. Your vocals. Maybe. And it made you mess up. Shampoo, Travis, Besaw, and Kirshner, CPAs and business consultants. See, I got that right, but then I couldn't say the word taxes. Well, you don't like taxes. Textuses. So anyway, assurance, accounting, taxes, litigation support, the ever-important mergers and acquisitions. Jonah knows about that. He's constantly acquiring new clients. And then and merging it, them. <laughs> yeah. It is uh, at uh, Bronstein Amalgamated Incorporated. Where are your offices? Are they uh, down? Uh, they're in the um, old First Ward, right? Yes. In the back of Elmo's Tavern. <laughs> <laughs> Is Elmo's a tavern? Uh, I think it's a bar and grill. What's the difference? The what they call themselves oh, tavern. Yeah, I don't know if they want that identity. Hey guys, I'm talking about a different Elmo. <laughs> tavern is how my dad used to say it. Yeah, a tavern. Tavern. He also used to say uh, funeral. Oh, he's one of those. And nuclear. Oh, I hate that. Oh man. And video. He would talk about when we got. In television, which is how far my video game experience goes back in television, was the upgrade of Atari. And he'd talk, always talk about my video games. <laughs> so it's probably his fault that you're messing up these reads. <laughs> my dad, he, he never met a word he couldn't butcher. He I had so many malaprops, is the word for that. It's people who say, he would all, like the word wuss, a wuss. I don't know where this came, but he always called him a whoosh. Like a <laughs> W-U-S-H, whoosh. Did he do it on purpose, like Waro? Or is no, that... no, no. I think he... Maybe, you know what? I bet you he pro- where it probably came from, because I would do the same thing to my children, and I, I do it in, in my life around you guys. He probably said it wrong one time, saw that it made us embarrassed or cringed, and then kept doing it. Mm. Like, he would, he would pick it up. And then we got old enough to where we would try to correct him, and that was the, the wrong thing to do. So kind of like Waro. Yeah. Waro does that a lot. Yes, he does. He's at, always talking about the Sabres. And Espen. For effect, yes. Espen. What goes on at Espen? Johnny Wawa. 
So, Shampoo, Travis, Besaw, and Kirshner. Check them out. 716-630-2400. So we heard from Brett Favre. Brett Favre called me on the phone from Hattiesburg, Mississippi. From his pickup truck, from, his from pickup what truck. I understand. Yep. On a farm. It was an exclusive. It was an exclusive and a one-on-one. Nobody else was there. It was also 93 degrees. The devil's in the details. Was he wearing Wrangler jeans? I didn't ask, and I should have. I was picturing you sitting to. next to him in the passenger seat of his pickup truck. <laughs> like As that, I was reading the story, like I thought... That, like that scene from Boogie Nights? Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? I don't. No? Okay. Yeah, just like that. Do you, do you know what I'm talking about? I think so. Yeah. No. Well... I don't know why that popped into my head. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I'm sitting in a pickup truck with Brett Favre. You're picturing this? Yeah, as, as I was reading it, I was just picturing you there thinking, man, it would be this would be a good conversation to have down in Hattiesburg, Mississippi with some ice-cold beers. I like this guy, Tim Graham. He was about and to... And this Brett Favre seems pretty interesting, so... Yeah. <laughs> so we heard from Brett Favre in his pickup truck. Uh, we've heard from Chad Dedeminisis on the Sabres opener. We're going to hear from Bill's cornerback, Levi Wallace. In a few minutes, we're going to speak with Joel Staniszewski on the line from Vegas. But um, where are you with these Buffalo Bills? Uh, Sunday was supposed to be a measuring stick. Well, I think it was. Uh, they lose the game. They're now 3-1 and one, and heading into Nashville to face Tennessee Titans on Sunday before going on the bye week. So quarter of the way into the season, where are you with the Bills in terms of your feelings of good team, bad team, okay team, playoff team? I think they're an okay team. I think they should be a playoff team. I think they have a playoff if not championship level defense and probably one of the top five defenses in football but they're not necessarily I mean the defense can only drag them so far right I mean I think you might be able to get 10 wins out of the defense alone and you know but the question is will the quarterback and will the offense hold them back because that's the first decent team that they've played against, and it turned out to be a really good one uh, in New England. And, you know, they they probably should have won the game based on the way the defense played alone, but I think there were shortcomings from the quarterback big time, and there were some shortcomings from the head coach and game management and certainly from the special teams coach to allow the blocked punt that was – a decisive play in the game. So it just feels like something is still not quite there that this idea that maybe they are, and Hey, maybe they'll start to put it together. It's a long season. You try not to put too much into one game, but you see how teams respond in big games and Josh Allen, it seemed too big for him at times. And I don't know if I would say it seemed too big for Sean McDermott, but in some ways it seemed that way. He was, chasing Patriots staffers off the field before the game. Uh, he was out of timeouts at the start of the fourth quarter, out of challenges at the start of the fourth quarter. 
and everything that was going wrong for the Patriots, they just seemed to to chug along. And and that's part of the trouble with playing that team is Tom Brady and Bill Belichick have been in what couple hundred of those games by now where it's close and they can hang with teams so it's something that presumably they'll learn but man it feels like if they don't get to 10 wins and they don't get to the playoffs it'll be a waste of a truly great defense yeah the margin for error against the Patriots is so small and the Bills still had a chance to win it despite all of those uh miscues the, the interceptions, the third quarter sack, or I'm sorry, third down sacks, the uh, the block punt for a touchdown. And they still were in Patriots territory on their final drive with Matt Barkley at quarterback. That's how good the defense is. And they were down near the goal line on that drive that Josh Allen got hurt. They went for it on fourth down, had a chance to take the lead. So if Josh Allen doesn't take two third down sacks that pull him out of field goal range and cost him six points... If he doesn't throw just one of those interceptions that led to the only Patriots offensive touchdown, if he doesn't take that third down sack that you know backs him up even more on that punt, because he did take a third down sack before that punt too, right? Um, you know, not to say it's his fault that the punt got blocked. That's, uh, but that was an inexcusable error too. There were just too many, and the fact that the defense still had them in the game, and we started to hear some of that talk that you hear once in a while, the defense after the game saying, hey, we should have done more. And that's almost that sideways comment to the offense. (laughs) We heard it last year a bit, and I don't think this team's divided or anything like that, not trying to drum up any of that. It was after the game in Houston in which uh, the defense had played borderline lights out and they didn't win the game, and it was – yeah, we yeah. should have. We should have taken. Have we more. still haven't scored as a defense. Micah Hyde said, and when you say stuff like that, the way it comes off is, yeah, we got to do everything. Yeah, I guess we got to do more. And yeah, I mean, <laughs> we're gonna you have can to take punt. the ball away more. Let me punt it, right? <laughs> Let me block the, for the punter too. Let me be the personal protector. I mean, so this idea, oh, you know, they haven't scored as a defense. You know, Micah Hyde saying we haven't scored. It's like you know. That that's right. you know that sixteen you know points against the Patriots should be good enough. It's also similar to what Brian Dable said at the lectern on Monday, when asked about Josh Allen's decision making, and his replies were, "I have to call better plays," and it's similar to what Freddie Kitchens did with Baker Mayfield after the game uh, again on Sunday night, two Sundays ago against uh, Los Angeles Rams, uh, in which it clearly looked as though Baker Mayfield called out of Freddie Kitchen's play for a quarterback draw on fourth and whatever it was, 10. And and Freddie Kitchen's after the game pretty said he called it, which the, the analysis and based on looking at Freddie Kitchen's reaction and everything, it was, no, it was Baker May. So you're getting the guy off the hook. That's what teams do. It's what a defense does. Having his back. Right. I, I'm not pointing it. We're, not only are we not pointing fingers, it's my fault. Right. I'm looking in the mirror. We held Tom Brady to his worst performance in a win ever, 10 points on all these shortened fields. But, man, if we could have scored a touchdown. That's why I didn't even go into the locker room. Uh, Why I went in there for about a minute and decided I'm not going to learn anything in here because everybody's going to fall on the sword. And no, it's not – I'm not going to learn anything. Everybody's going to gather around each other and rally – 
And so then I walked over to the administration building over at One Bill's Drive to talk to the all the legends. They're called legends now. Not all of them are legends. Um, well, legend the, is a relative term. The NFL calls any former player a legend now. And so if you played one game in the NFL, the NFL considers you a legend. Is but anyway, legend a synonym for old? No, it's just for you're a former player. You're a legend because you made it. You you got to the NFL. That's legendary. When will Bill's legend EJ Manuel be returning? Oh, I hope he uh, leads the charge at some point. That'd be that'd be fun. So anyway, these guys were on the field over a hundred of them before the game as part of the NFL's hundred year anniversary, and I thought these guys will at least shoot me straight and give the defense the credit it deserves. Because the defense isn't going to accept credit. It's going to be, we didn't do enough to win. It doesn't matter how well we played. We didn't do enough to win. You'd also expect Frank Gore to say, it doesn't matter that I reached 15,000 yards. We didn't win the game. I don't care. Whatever. So let's. I had a chance to catch up with Daryl Talley and Bruce Smith and Leonard Smith and say, look, this is a game that usually, with these mistakes of interceptions and third-down sacks and a special teams uh, fiasco, that the Patriots win by 30, and the game's not even close. So please tell, explain to me why it's different now so the fans can at least not want to jump off the skyway after failing to, to beat the New England Patriots at home in a game they should have won, but still. That's the frustrating part is being so close. I mean, the Bills have not been that close to beating the Patriots with Tom Brady, I mean, since E.J. Manuel. Uh, they lost 23-21 that year, but to make Tom Brady look that way, I mean, a lot will, you know, how we view that game is, I think, still to be determined based on how they respond this week and coming out of the bye week against the Eagles. I think this game against the Titans, while it's not generating nearly the hype that last week did, is massive. If they lose to the Titans, they're both 3-2, and two. And the Titans have the tiebreaker, and that's a potential mm-hmm. wild card spoiler um, that the Titans could be. So these those tiebreakers are a big deal, and it's pretty clear that the Bills, unless something weird happens, aren't going to win the division. They're going to so need the tiebreakers. You're going to want every Probably. tiebreaker you can get. So every conference game and every game against a potential uh, you know competitor for one of those wild card spots is huge. I just want to say the original definition of legend is – was a story of a life of a saint. So I don't know how many of those legends. Well, then the there's not a lot of legends. <laughs> Especially not from those Super Bowl era guys. You know who is a legend? And a saint. From Buffalo to Las Vegas. The Bills make me wanna Everyone who hates Tom Brady hates Tom Brady because he, he's not on there. Tomorrow is my birthday. <laughs> but I mean, this is just awesome. I mean, the excitement that's around the, the, the city as a whole. It's more like a royal flash. Joel Staniszewski from Sloan, from St. Joseph's Academy. No, I'm sorry. St. Joseph's Institute? Collegiate Institute? Yeah, St. Joseph's Collegiate Institute and Buffalo State. He's been a handicapper, an odds maker, a gambling analyst, and he joins the Tim Graham Show every week. 
during the football season. Joel, thanks for coming back. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure. Isn't it? Isn't it, Joel? It is. It absolutely is. I think uh, it is. Next, next week, no, next week is the bye week. The next week, I fly in on a Wednesday for the, for the Dolphins game. Oh, we'll have to hang out. please. Let's do that. When do you get in? I think at like 4 o'clock. P.M.? Yeah. What if you Your shot time. straight to the uh, studio and, and, and joined us live and in person? It sounds great. My daughter is going to go nuts. She'll be running around, too. She'll be yelling about the bills. In the studio? I don't care. Wherever. Yeah, She'll bring her in. around in the, in the street. Bring her in. They're crazy. So the Bills covered. They did. What uh, What did you make of that game, uh, not as a fan, Joel, but as uh, from a betting standpoint? Uh, any surprises? Um, I don't think so, no. I, I, it pretty much played out how I was expecting it to. Um, as a fan and a person watching it, just from a, watching a game on TV standpoint, the fact that they let that punt get blocked was asinine. Uh, the fact that they kicked a, they went for it on fourth down right after uh, Matt Barkley came in on, on the three yard line, I thought was foolish. Uh, I I think as a just from watching it, whether you're a Bills fan or not. It's what happens to a lot of teams. You just get outcoached by Bill Belichick, and that's exactly what happened to us. What was the in-game betting experience like? What uh, would anything uh, that would be interesting in retrospect or to review with the uh, listeners? I I um I should have looked right when we were down thirteen, and I didn't. I was busy shouting expletives. Uh, but uh, there was I, a I sense in the. I can't say among the fans, but there was a sense in the press box that the game was over. Like that was typical. We've seen that so many times. We can right. go. We don't have to go back too far in our memory banks to to remember what that type of start does uh, against yeah, the Patriots I, or any team. I was I was just finishing up at the uh, pumpkin patch, getting our pumpkins for the year, and with in Las zero, Vegas. Zero, yeah, yeah. yeah. What are they? Zero, wait, no, wait, whoa, hang on, hang on, oh, hang on. Uh, back hang it up, on. back it up. Pumpkin. Where, back. where do they do this? Uh, there's a place called Gilcrease Orchard, and they have uh, just everything: vegetables, fruits, pumpkins, uh, chickens, turtles, everything you could think of. They have there at this orchard in Las Vegas. Which is right, yeah, which is right across from the Las Vegas farm that has crazy animals and. and but it's not everything. really an orchard. Not or, an orchard like a where you make wine. It's not guess, rows of say. it's not rows of trees. No, no it's, it's just, things that will actually grow in Las Vegas. It's an orchard, but in name, a chicken orchard. A chi- <laughs> so <laughs> this stuff is obviously flown in from somewhere. And what do they? No, no, it grows there. They grow pumpkins. Yes, in the desert. In the desert. <laughs> All right. You know, I do know this. A lot of people don't know this about Arizona, but the Phoenix area, the soil there is incredibly fertile. You just have to water the hell out of it, of course, because there's no rain. But, yeah, farming in in Phoenix is a thing. But it's tough to do in Vegas because the ground is like cement. Um, Right. So what do they do? How do they, they, anyways, I'll look it up. 
They, yeah, look it up. Gilcrease Orchard. I'll look it up. I, I he think doesn't plant the pumpkins, Tim. He or just, the chicken. He just picks them. I think that they're exactly. probably... He just sets the lines somebody, and, he pick, and he picks the pumpkins. <laughs> he doesn't exactly. plant them. Somebody rigs this up to make it seem like you're, you're picking pumpkins. Listen, this is, I have photographic proof of me picking pumpkins. I'll send it to you. No, but it's, it's doctored stuff. I mean, they... They rig it to make it seem like you're picking a pumpkin, There's but they're not. Right. Okay. Yeah, the stem is made out of bungee or exactly, some sort exactly. of yeah. Yeah. plaster of Paris. We could they have kids on, on the line from Vegas listening, and you're ruining this for them. Like telling them Santa Claus isn't real, that the pumpkins are flown in. They're fake. <laughs> fake pumpkins. All right, so against the Tennessee Titans, the uh, spread opened up uh, with the Titans as a one-point favorite at home. It's now been bet to three points well, the in most one, places. The one that you saw out there, uh, some books, I believe the Westgate, the Superbook, they've been putting out lines a week also ahead. Um, so, so the Bills, as a one-point dog, was while that game was happening, while both games were happening, or even before that, before the games even started. Uh, the the three that you see the move to is because of of Josh Allen, and that goes back to the question when we were talking a couple of weeks ago about quarterbacks and their point worth. Uh, the, the sheet that you had sent me has Josh Allen listed as one point. Uh, the, the betting and the line moves is more like one and a half two. Uh, but yes, the, the the action has come in a little bit more on Tennessee, which is the line went from one to two and a half with Allen. Uh, supposedly being out uh, and has been bet to three. So I don't know, maybe maybe you were talking about it earlier or maybe someone there has the knowledge of an NFL quarterback that got a concussion recently and played the following week. I think most times you don't play the next week, no matter how far through the concussion protocol you are. So it would be really interesting to see with Josh Allen you saw him on the sidelines or when he was going to the back, pumping up the crowd and looking like he could go back into the game. So if he's, if he's in you know level four, does that mean he's that much closer to level five and actually playing this week? And if that's the case, if you think that's a possibility, then you bet the Bills now plus the three or on the money line you can get plus $1.45 in town. You take that value-wise, hope that he plays, and then you're already getting, you're already getting the best of the number. How well you just kind of answered my question there, but we were talking about it earlier in the show about how maybe Matt Barkley doesn't make that much of a negative difference from a betting standpoint because he probably is more of a game manager. He's put on the field to not lose the game, play safe, um, and the defense wins the game. You know that maybe you have a chance of winning. Uh, your chance of winning improves maybe in some way, or you can twist your mind into thinking that. If Matt Barkley's out there, uh, granted he's not Drew Brees, but what are your thoughts on that aspect of it? Because the Bills' defense is so good, um, and maybe you want to go with the under too because of that. Uh, that a Matt Barkley start uh, would make the Bills even more attractive. Yeah, a Matt Barkley start when you so they were talking about it on uh, some whatever show I was watching this morning, and they were saying since 2018. Uh, backup Bills backup QBs are one and four straight up in Allen's absence. But what they failed to re- mention is that two of the losses were from Nate Peterman and two of them were from Derek Anderson. The only win was was Matt Barkley, and he played great that game. 
And even when he came in, he still played really well uh, and with no practice and not being ready to go at all. So he's, he's a very good backup. He's pro- arguably one of the top five backups in the league. So him going in there uh, with Gore the way that he's playing, hopefully Singletary's back in. I think if Singletary plays last week, that's another huge difference maker in that game. Uh, with him out, I thought it really hurt their, their ability to, to do more in the run game, in the short pass game. So I think with him playing, I think Matt Barkley is a, is a very viable starter in this game. Tennessee, though, is, is no slouch on defense. They have a very good defense. But if you're looking, comparing offense to offense, defense to defense, we're better in almost every single category, with the exception of uh, Tennessee's pass defense. But everything else, offensively, we're better than them passing, running, clock management, everything. Uh, and defensively, it's the same thing. What do you make of the the total? It's at uh, thirty eight and a half or thirty nine. Um, thoughts on that? Uh, I, this seems like it's going to be a really low scoring game. Uh, Tennessee is, is really hit or miss. When you look at them, week one they they put up forty or whatever it was. They put up twenty four in the first half last week, but when they played Jacksonville, that has a good defense, they couldn't do anything. So uh, I would definitely lean towards the under. Uh, if, if, if what I what I like to do with totals, I'm not a big pregame total better, but if something happens in a game that's a fluke, like the the blocked punt touchdown, that's going to really raise the total because you're looking at points scored in the first eight minutes of a game, so you're, the total is going to jump up dramatically. At that point, you bet the opposite. That's when you bet a game under, or when a game's really low scoring and the total drops to like twenty one and a half. That's when you'd bet the over. So if if something happens really quick with this game, a quick touchdown, uh, an interception, or even like a, a fumble in the in your, in your offensive zone, I think that that really makes you want to bet it under because you're going to get that fluke touchdown that you're not going to necessarily get on a regular back and forth type of game. Yeah, and so it's it gives you added value if you if you have a conviction that it's going to be a low scoring game. Just hope for some early points. Exactly. Well, Joel, thanks for joining us, and um, we look forward to seeing you in a couple of weeks. Uh, but um, if you want to do bi-week uh, talk on something that's going on around the league or uh, whatever, we'll, we'll get definitely. You, we'll check in with you next week. If you want to take the week awesome. off, we'll allow it. No, no, we'll we'll definitely talk. We'll talk other teams. All right, Joel Staniszewski on the line from Vegas. Thanks for joining us, Joel. Take care, guys. All right, when we come back, Buffalo Bills cornerback Levi Wallace. More uh, more football talk. On the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by CTBK on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. The Tim Graham Show. Oh, that's trash, young lady. No, you can't. Hey, stop that, young lady! The charity's on fire! The Tim Graham Show on Twitter at 1270 The Fan. This is Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. Celebrating its 25th anniversary this year, Shampoo, Travis, Besaw, and Kirshner is a full-service accounting firm that also offers expert consultation for growing and entrepreneurial businesses. Located in Amherst, CTBK specializes in maintaining a human connection and takes a bullish approach to their clients' goals and visions with a no-surprises billing policy. For assurance, accounting, taxes, litigation support, 
advice on acquisitions and mergers, or practically any other business operation need you can imagine, call CTBK for a consultation at 716-630-2400. That's 716-630-2400. Shampoo, Travis, Besaw, and Kirshner. A quarter century of proven accounting and business excellence for Western New York and beyond. 1270, the fan. I really hear voices in my head. Yes, we all hear voices in our head. I can hear the voices in my head again. Sports Radio 1270, the fan. And on the fans app, free to download in the app store. Now back to the Tim Graham Show. Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by Shampoo Travis, Besaw, and Kirshner, CPAs and business consultants. Bill's defense has been so impressive through four games. Not a lot to quibble about. And so to talk about the Bill's defense and the upcoming game Sunday against the Tennessee Titans in Nashville is Bill's cornerback, Levi Wallace. Thanks for joining the show, Levi. Thank you guys for having me. Appreciate it. What a great story Levi Wallace is, his career. He's in his second year in the NFL, starting cornerback for the Buffalo Bills, and started off as a walk-on at Alabama, just tried out for the team. Now, Levi, when you think back on that aspect of your journey, what went into your, I guess, bravado or your your ambition to try out for the, the football team at Alabama? It's not like trying out for the football team at uh, – uh, Baldwin Wallace College. Um, yeah, I just, you know, I mean, at the time I was just going to school there, um, you know, and that was one of my favorite schools um, and one of my favorite colleges, you know. So I, I played intramural for a little bit, and, you know, my team, my, my friends, they were like, yo, like, you're cheating out here. You need to go play some football somewhere else. And, uh and then I just thought, you know, I'm a, I I still love the game, and I still want to be a part of the team, so I might as well just go and try to walk on. And what? How do you do that? How do you find out? How do who, who do you approach? Do you have to talk your way into the building? How, what no, they have they have they have tryouts um, every year, and um, you know it was fill out the paperwork, you know, try out, and whether you make it or not, it's up to them. You know, I just went out there and just did my best. You know, try to win it every every uh, little exercise they had going on. And you're at Alabama. You end up winning a national championship. At what point during your stay at Alabama do they come to you and say, Levi, you've done enough, you've earned a scholarship? Um, that was my junior year. And, uh, you know, I, I knew I was pretty good. And, you know, then we had some, some transfers going on, um, some people that left left the, the college so um you know i figured eventually my time was, was going to be up and and uh that's when they called me up there and was like yeah we want to put you on scholarship you know you've done an excellent job one of the best defensive backs here um and, you know i you know i accepted the challenge and then the next year i was starting so coach saban nicknamed you the technician i would think that somebody who earns that nickname from Saban uh, would 
be worthy of a scholarship. Uh, what what was it like to actually? What was that conversation like when you realized and they announced to you you've earned a scholarship? Because that has to be a big moment in your life and for your family too. Um. Well, actually, I mean, I had a meeting with Coach Saban prior to that, and he he had told me so. Um, I mean, by the time they announced the whole team, I had already known. You know, Cat was out of the bag. So, um, but like I said, I mean, it, it was it was great to get a, that that football scholarship. Um, but I, I don't think I was satisfied, and I wanted to be able to play on the field. You know, um, and, and go out there and make plays with my teammates. So. We're in conversation with Bills cornerback Levi Wallace, who's been an integral part of the Bills' defense uh, through four games here. As the, uh, they're 3-1 and one, heading into Nashville on Sunday. Levi, you've been a part of, I guess, dominant defenses before, having played in Alabama, so it's I guess there's some relative... Um, you know, feelings of of uh, authority when you're out there, of knowing that you got this, that you that this opponent uh, is uh, that you're kind of bending them to your will a little bit. What's it been like for you here through four games and the uh, the way that you're playing, the way that you're holding defenses uh, off the scoreboard, uh, three and outs? Uh, that feeling has to be surging uh, through the locker room. Yeah, I mean it's, it's exciting, but. Uh... You know, that that was our goal coming in to even approve for, from last year's defense and go out there and make the most of every opportunity. Um, and like I said, you know, we, we we have each other's back. You know, we're all good friends on and off the field. So it means a lot to each and every one of us that we go out there and do our jobs and, you know, give the offense, um, you know, as many chances as we can for them to go out there and score and, uh, you know, do their best as well. So, you know, it, it's great to be a part of this defense. You know, I feel like just the brotherhood that we have on the defense is, is unmatched. Levi, obviously a lot um, of the credit for your defense, you know, outside of the building, a lot of people point to Sean McDermott and, you know, his role and, and his scheme and everything else. But what can you say about the role that Leslie Frazier plays and maybe has personally played for you uh, in your development as a guy who played the position in the league? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's huge. You know, even just small things as, as focusing on the corners, you know, throwing us passes, you know, just just simple little drills um, that made him just one of the the, the good corners in the league. Um, you know, just asking him questions on how we should play this or how would he play that. You know, just having somebody who's been there and done that, um, and you can always go to and, and talk to and and text or call. You know, he's always looking to help us grow and develop as well. So it's great having a defense coordinator like that along with John Butler. What do you know about Leslie Frazier's playing career? Uh, I actually, in camp, I, I Googled him on YouTube and saw that John Madden called his interception the greatest interception that he's ever seen. And then uh, I put it on the big screen for the whole defense. And, it, you know, it was, it was really like that. It was dope. It was dope saying that. What do you – can you tell me anything about the 1985 Bears defense? I can't tell you one thing other than Coach Frazier was defense. Okay, well, Google all of that because it's considered maybe the greatest defense of all time and went on to win the Super Bowl that year, just totally annihilated the New England Patriots, a defensive MVP in the Super Bowl, which you don't even see all that often. But Leslie Frazier was the starting cornerback all 16 
games uh, for what is known as the greatest defense of all time. Um, yeah. I don't even know how many Bears or Bills fans really know Leslie Frazier's career. You know him as a coach now. He's been a coach in the league for so long, but um, yeah, he's in the Super Bowl shuffle video. That's right. Have you seen the Super Bowl shuffle video? I have not. I've been looking for that one. I have not seen it. Okay. Well, you you can find it. Google that Super Chicago Bears Super Bowl shuffle. It is a god awful rap that uh, all the members of the Bears did, and it's incredibly poor dancing and rapping, uh, and your defensive coordinator is in it. So make sure that you show that on the big screen just as much as you would the uh, the uh, interception that John Madden loved. No, okay, definitely. I would definitely look that up. Coming soon, coming soon to the Bills locker room. Uh, Levi, your thoughts on the Tennessee Titans. They had a, a pretty big game on Sunday. Uh, what are you expecting from the offense? Um, I mean, you know, obviously they're a physical team. Um you know, starting just with Derek, you know, they want to run the ball because um, they have the, the personnel to do that, you know. Um, and then they have big receivers that go up and, and are physical and fight for the ball. So it'll be a great matchup against our defense. And then, you know, just topping it off for Mariota and his ability to throw and run as well. It's going to be a great challenge. You know, we look forward to that. Levi, what can you share with us? Uh, obviously, there's certain aspects of what you guys do in the secondary that are um, you know, there's so much communication involved and it seems like Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer are such an asset to you guys as cornerbacks. What's it been like integrating yourself with those guys and just all the disguising and different things you guys are able to do with your coverages, both before and after the snap? Yeah. I mean, when you just have two veteran guys like that, there's just, seems just about everything, you know, in the league, every single play, it's probably ever ever ran, you know. Um, it, just, it makes it a lot more easier to disguise and you know to show the offense something else, and then you know just also taking their advice as well. You know they're also corners at one point in their career too, so you know just asking them just to get a competitive advantage as well has been beneficial for me at least. You know I can't speak on Shadavis, but I know he definitely appreciates those guys too in the back end. Levi Wallace, Buffalo Bills cornerback. Thanks for joining the show. Very nice of you to give us part of your day. Uh, any parting words for the uh, for the people? And go Bills, man. Go Bills. Love the fans. Can't wait to see you guys in a couple weeks back at home. Naturally. Naturally. Levi Wallace, thanks again. Thank you guys for having me. Safe travels to Nashville. All right, when we come back, more Bills talk, more Sabres talk. Some UB talk? Yeah, whatever you want, Tim. Here on the Tim Graham Show. Brought to you by CTBK here on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. This is the Tim Graham Show. I like this guy, uh... Whether or not there are words or not. <laughs> Sports Radio 1270. The Doug or not. The fan. Hurt in a car? Call William Attar. How do you know which law firm only focuses on motor vehicle accidents? Easy. Go to their website. If you see that they're doing anything other than motor vehicle accidents, you're in the wrong place. 
At williamattar.com, you'll find extensive information focused on one type of case, helping people after motor vehicle accidents. Hurt in a car? Call William Attar, 444-4444. Main Street, Williamsville. Great spirits, easy conversation, and excellent food. Williamsville's Gathering Place, the Glen Park Town. Yeah, carrying me. Anywho. Then how come I keep thinking about her in all these sexual scenarios and stuff, huh? <laughs> Bobby is jotting down yeah. a time of that. That's going to end yep. up in a bumper. Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. This is a Tim Graham Show. Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show on Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. Tim Graham Show is brought to you by CTBK, a.k.a. Shampoo Travis Besaw and Kirshner, CPAs and business consultants, here in studio with Jonah Bronstein of the Bronstein Partners and Matthew Fairburn of The Athletic and Bobby Rosati of Cumulus, <laughs> of Cumulus fame. Yes, fame. Well, it's nice of you. Nice to have Levi Wallace on the show. Talk about the Bills' defense, how things have been going. Good to have Joel Staniszewski on this past hour. Chad DiDominicis. It's been a pretty good show so far. So far. We haven't had enough Jonah Bronstein yet. What's going I, I on at UB? Disagree. Give us the what's going on on the what's the campus beat? Well, or not just UB. What about any anything? Well, I'll, I'll what's, what's going, going on in colleges, Jonah? I was at UB this week for some basketball practices. I haven't been around the football team as much in the past weekend or so. It, it, you know, I cover the home games. I missed their media day on Tuesdays. But the big story over there, Matt Myers injured in the loss at Miami, the MAC opening he loss. He took some shots. Took some shots. It looked like he got hurt before he actually came out of the game getting hurt. It doesn't seem to be the case, but it seemed like he got knocked out of that game. He had a couple of double early. shots where he took a big hit and then his head hit. Hit the ground, y- right? Yeah. Yep. And unlike Josh Allen, I don't think this is trending toward him playing this week. He, did, he hasn't practiced Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday. They play on Saturday instead of Sunday, so it's a shorter uh, you know, period of time between now. He would need – Lance Leipold said on Tuesday he would need to have two practices in probably to play on Saturday. So if he's not practicing tomorrow uh, – I would say he's definitely not going to play, and it's looking like he's probably not at least going to practice in full tomorrow and didn't do anything today. So I think Kyle Van Treese, who's been UB's punter for the last couple of games, is going to be the starting quarterback. We'll see if he punts. They, they have another guy that could probably handle those duties. Danny White. The, the former athletic director? No. <laughs> the Cowboys I said that for that reason, yeah. yeah. Quarterback, punter. Yeah, I mean, it could be done. Obviously, high school teams do that all the Mike time. Mike Tomzak. But I don't think that UB will do that. And I don't see why you would put your quarterback out there to punt the ball unless he was some so much better as a punter than anybody else you have. Maybe they should just go for it on fourth down every time. With a quarterback playing back there, I mean, you could do some creative stuff. That might be interesting. They should have done that before. Reinvent punting. They should have been doing that maybe while he had the chance. Now he's not going to be punting anymore. They lost their opportunity. He might still be punting. Uh, That's kind of undetermined. They have a freshman kicker, Jackson Balter, that's taking over the place-kicking duties, and he can punt the ball. He did some punts, two punts, I think it was, 
in the last home game, the win over Temple. I don't think he punted the ball against Miami. I'd have to look back at the stats, but I don't think he did any of the punting. I think Van Treese did it all in that game. The game is at home at 3.30 on Saturday. It's a big game, I think, for for UBCs. And if they start out 0-2 in the MAC, they fall two games below 500. The chances of being bowl eligible and having a successful season really diminish. But another win, they're back to a 500 overall record, 500 MAC record, and I think things are back on schedule to where really how this season's been going with inconsistent play. UB is a three and a half point underdog in this game. Uh, how about basketball? What have you seen from those practices that you've uh, had a chance to witness? Well, I, you know what? They they practice a lot over the summer. They're limited in their hours. But so I've been checking in on them, you know, kind of month to month throughout the offseason. And from at least the UB men, I, I like what I see. I think talent-wise, with the players they brought in, the transfer players that were on the team last year but were ineligible and will be playing this year, they have just as much talent as they've had the last couple of years. Now, I don't know if that means they'll have as good of a season. I think it's almost impossible to expect them to win 32 games again. The way the schedule is set up, I wouldn't expect uh, Buffalo to be a top 25 team unless they start out you know, 10-0, 11-0, something like that. But when it gets down to uh, the end of March and winning the MAC, I think this team is as good with the same coaching, really. Uh, Jim Weitzel was very involved in the – game preparation and the game planning and the the on-the-floor coaching under Nate Oates. Now he's the head coach, so you're not going to see, I think, any sort of growing pains or transition period in terms of... Stylistically, they'll still be the same team. I I do think there might be some changes in, in terms of how many threes they shoot and the pace they play at, but for the most part, it's not a big change in the systems and their philosophies and shouldn't be any sort of challenge for the players to adjust to a new coach. And I think they're still the favorites to win the MAC. I, not all of the preseason publications are saying that, but I, I, I would say they're a team to beat in the MAC and have just as much talent as they've had the last few years and should be able to not really get to that point where they were last year, where they were in the tournament, whether they won the MAC or not, but get pretty close where, we, where they were two years ago. We're almost on that edge of being an at-large team, but maybe not quite just having the opportunities in non-conference play to, to get those wins. What is the uh, Mac media? They do preseason polls, all that stuff, the the beat reporters? That one's not out yet. Okay. I'm just talking about some of the magazines. Blue Ribbon Sports, sure. that's probably really the best one. Or Blue Ribbon, you know, College Basketball Preview, has them third in the division, which uh, a little bit surprising to see. There's other good teams, but I just think the way they've dominated this league, and if you really know – there's a lot of unknowns, I think, outside of Buffalo to some of these players, players that didn't play a, a lot of minutes last year or were sitting last year. Antoine Johnson, a transfer from Middle Tennessee. Gabe Grant, a transfer from Houston. Some junior college players. But me, I haven't seen them practicing, just their size, speed, ability. I think they're just as good as they were have been the last few years. Is it too soon to know the other teams to beat? I mean, I know that you can project, and college preseason predictions are tough because a I mean, lot of times they're out of whack, but... Or at least they don't. I wouldn't say it's too soon if you study it, but it's a little hard for me to know who's gone and who are. Same reason why people might be underestimating UB and just looking at it like, oh, they lost five seniors and they lost their coach. And I would say, yeah, but you don't know about this transfer that was sitting out and this junior college player and this guy that didn't play a lot last year, but he's going to be in a new role. So I don't know all those things about the other team. So yeah, I do think it's a little early 
And just like any sport, you know, you come out with your preseason predictions, then you watch how these teams play in non-conference for two months, and a lot of those pre- predictions change. So, yeah, I do think in just about any league, it's a little early to say who's going to be the best team in March, but that's how it goes. That's what all these magazines do, and that's what all these preseason polls try to accomplish anyways. Do you still expect to see Jackie Walker and her husband at uh, courtside for all the big games? I mean, Channel 4 is the official station of UB Athletics, so yeah, I expect to see all the yeah. all our friends from Channel 4. She's like 4 Mrs. There. UB out there, though. She's the... It's like Jack Nicholson at the Lakers game. <laughs> Speaking of famous UB fans, the the guy that the naked guy that wears the speedo and the cowboy hat to the game is going to be at the football game this weekend, appearing back in town. He's graduated, so he hasn't been at any of the previous games. So, so you had to take away some time from his his. Oh, well, he doesn't live here anymore. His Wall Street career. What does he do for a living? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't really know. I do think he lives in the Albany area. I know he plays. I believe it's the trumpet. He plays, you know, horn instruments. He's in a band called the Buffalo Brass Machine. And so if you weren't sure whether you wanted to go to the game on Saturday or not, Tim, just know the UB Naked guy will be there. So if that helps inform your decision. That uh, helps settle it. I won't be there. Well, I can't be there. I'm going to be traveling to Nashville for the big football game, for the big Bills game. I'm looking. You know what I'm most looking forward to in Nashville? What's that? The, the press music. box. Midfield. Why? The Whoa. press box at this stadium is what are they calling it these days? It, it's changed, right? It's not. Uh, what's the stadium at in Nashville? Called? Nissan. Nissan. Yeah, it's great. It's the like the old Bills press box, which you've never been in, Bobby. No. So that does you no good yeah. for me to explain <laughs> that. It is down closer to the field, and the seats are about midfield. So most oh, really? press boxes, especially with newer stadiums, are like they have in Buffalo. In, in fact. Buffalo is in the corner. It's in the M&T Tower, for those listening who may maybe not know. So John Murphy and Eric Wood and the TV crews and the radio crews for the other team, they're all in the old Bills press box, which is around 50-yard line, along the, right behind oh. the Bills sideline, whereas the print media and everybody else is in the corner. Like in New England or... Um, Philadelphia, it's very a lot of them are similar. It's the corner, but you're on top of the 300 level, so you're a lot farther away ah. than you are. So Buffalo still has a pretty good press box for one that is going to put you in the corner. The reason that stadiums now put the media off into the corner is because they're the worst seats. They want to be able to sell the best seats. Right. And what press boxes used to be are awesome seats. So they want to turn those into suites and sell them off to corporations and whatever and make right. a lot of money so uh in tennessee they haven't converted yet they still are keeping the press box unless it's changed since we've been but yeah i was there in 2015 but it is a great and it was still point. that baltimore is still that baltimore is very low in fact baltimore you can't see part of the field because the players on the sideline cover what? cover up the near sideline wow. you're way down low and some of them are even though they're higher are still midfield like MetLife is sort of kind of no MetLife's in well, the corner. We're in the end zone. Yeah, I guess. But you're we're right. not. Yeah, we're not. We're not angled right out of the corner. We're angled more. Yeah, it's almost parallel. worse in that. Are you like sense. straight on? Yeah, we're like looking as if we were sitting straight. If we were sitting in our seat and looking straight ahead, we'd be looking pretty much was down still. the end zone. 
Oh, like the that's field interesting. Is the, and depending on what seat you get, I suppose. Yeah. Miami the, the, the Miami auxiliary press box is the worst because you're looking down a sideline. And Washington what? is kind of like that. It's like if you were to look straight ahead, you're looking right down the visitor's sideline. So line. you have to turn your head to you see action. You have to turn your head, and you miss. In fact, part of the end zone is cut off. I think you can't even see it from the <laughs> auxiliary press box. But anyways, nobody nobody really knows what the hell we're talking about. But It's going to be 92 in Nashville on Saturday. Oh, Jim. no kidding? God. So... When are you guys getting in? Bring your shorts. But then it's going to cool down significantly. No, maybe I'll just do like uh, the naked cowboy or what is he? The naked what? Just naked guy? You'd be naked naked guy. You'd be naked guy. (laughs) Just get on the Southwest flight in the nude. Well, it'll be air conditioned on the flight, but as soon as I get off of it. A lot of swamp. Well, you got to get ahead of it. I'll bring those tear off uh, warm up pants like I'm coming off the bench in an NBA game. And I'll just (laughs) (laughs) rip off my, my pants. (laughs) all right hey uh thanks to levi wallace of the buffalo bills for coming on the show also to joel staniszewski on the line from vegas uh chad didaminesis and i guess my thanks to brett Favre for talking to me a couple of days ago because we had those clips on during the show if you missed that first part uh you can go back and check uh the video feed on periscope thanks to jonah bronstein he handles that Uh, You can get uh, the podcast of the Tim Graham Show on SoundCloud, on iTunes, wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Thanks to Jonah Bronstein. Thanks to Matthew Fairburn of The Athletic. Thank you to Bobby Rosati. And thank you for listening to the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by Shampoo Travis, Besaw, and Kirshner, CPAs and business consultants. Catch you next week on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. This is the Tim Graham Show. So you're telling me there's a chance. On Twitter at 1270 The Fan. I wasn't supposed to put beef in the trifle. Taking your call.